1: The latest from 7 News with Michael Usher. Welcome to the latest on the Japanese encephalitis outbreak in Australia. Tonight we take an in-depth look at the virus that has the health authorities here on some alert. We'll hear from experts in the field. The Federal Minister handling the response and a survivor... So what is it? The virus was first discovered in Japan in the 19th century before it spread across Asia. Known as JEV, it's been found in pigs at farms in Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland. It's carried by mosquito populations that are booming in heavy rain this summer. That's how it can spread to humans through mosquito bites. Around 99% of JEV infections cause no symptoms. Now, some may develop an illness with fever and headache. However, in rare cases, less than 1%, those infected could develop a severe brain infection, which can be fatal. Now, there have been two deaths linked to the virus. The latest was confirmed in New South Wales. The Griffith man in his 70s died last month, The post-mortem finding he was infected with JEV. It follows the death of a Victorian man, the nation's first fatality of the rare virus, this outbreak. He died in the States North on February 28. There are now at least 15 human cases of the virus confirmed in Australia. Seven are in Victoria, three in New South Wales and one in Queensland. South Australia has confirmed at least four cases. And the Agriculture Minister, David Littleproud, joins us now. Minister, just how serious is this threat?
2: We're taking this very seriously. It's across the Eastern seaboard and South Australia. We're working with state officials in making sure that we're identifying particularly those piggeries in those areas of high risk, Uh, working with health officials in making sure that we also have uh, the vaccines that we had on hand and we're working to make sure that we get more vaccines. In fact, so serious is this that the Prime Minister has put this on the agenda for National Cabinet tomorrow. They'll be briefed about the risks that are posed here by the uh, acting chief health officer and by the chief veterinary officer in australia so we'll work through this we're working through with the states and i've got to say they've been working collaboratively with us to make sure that we're working uh, as closely as we can to identify where these cases uh, emerge and then work quickly to contain but also make sure that individuals understand the risks that pose to them
1: does this have the potential to really explode as a problem
2: Oh, look, I think you've got to put it in context, uh, less than 1% of those people that come into contact with a mosquito that has the virus uh, get uh, symptoms and of that, around 20% of that 1% may have very serious symptoms, neurological symptoms and, and unfortunately could lead to death. So we are taking it seriously uh, and I think that's where uh, not only do public health officials and the Department of Agriculture need to work quickly, but also individuals, they can do a lot about wearing yeah. repellent and clothing that cover their arms and legs, and, and making sure they just take the precautions they should. Uh, this has been in Australia since 1990, uh, and in fact just because of the significant weather event that we've seen uh, uh, water birds migrate into much of eastern Australia, bringing it from northern Australia to much of the east coast into south Australia.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you, so it is normally found in the northern parts, but it is all of this weather that's uh, seeing a rise in cases in the southeast?
2: It is. It's the migratory uh, water birds that have come down and what happens is if they bring it with them then the mosquitoes in fact uh, get it off them and then uh, what amplifies uh, the the virus is pigs. Uh, Horses also get it but pigs in particular they amplify the virus and that's why piggeries are most at risk and those that work in piggeries Uh, and so that's why we're saying and targeting the vaccines we have on hand into those piggeries and those local communities. Uh, we, We do have Uh, scope to bring in more vaccines as as, and if necessary and there'll be some decisions at National Cabinet around that to make sure that there's adequate planning Uh, but we are monitoring it closely through all agricultural departments across the country uh, as well as health departments in making sure that we report this. It's also important uh, to understand that you can still eat pork quite safely. Uh, There is is no contamination to a pork product so you can still enjoy Australian pork but just take the precautions if you are particularly uh, around areas where there's, there's water lying around.
1: So there is a vaccine available, as you say. Is that something the National Cabinet's going to have to work out, whether that, that vaccine program is ramped up?
2: Yeah, we we have around 6,000 vaccines on hand and we've put those into the targeted areas of around those 21 piggeries that um, have been exposed. We put those with the state health officials into those areas and in fact got another shipment very quickly and then obviously National Cabinet will work through uh, further purchasing of these vaccines and to make sure that we have them on hand uh, if this does continue to escalate. We are confident that uh, the fact that over the last couple of days we've only seen uh, no increase in the number of of piggeries that have been impacted gives us some comfort but not enough to say that we're out of the woods and that's why vigilance is important not just by state and federal health officials but also by individuals in these areas.
1: I guess a warning also for our medical professionals too to be on the lookout for symptoms they may dismiss that and, and not quite diagnose it quickly.
2: Yeah, I think we've got um, very good uh, coordination with the state public health officials in in understanding those areas and understanding the symptoms, and many of those is just simply around a stiff neck, uh, having flu-like symptoms, fever, vomiting, uh, and then obviously that's then uh, is a trigger because it is a reportable virus uh, by health officials. So they're on notice, and that's why we've been able to uh, understand exactly where it is across the east coast and into South Australia, uh, and then make sure that if there are fatalities, we're able to understand whether it is in fact Japanese encephalitis. So uh, there's a lot being done behind the the scenes and I've got to say the states have been exemplary in this and health officials across the country have been working with the chief health officer in Canberra and the chief veterinary officer in making sure that the coordinated approach is there and that's why we've escalated to national cabinet uh, to make sure this isn't another front that Australia has to face and uh, it, it gets broader than what it is now but we all have to be vigilant. We don't want another front right now, that's for sure. (laughs) All right. Agriculture Minister David Littleproud,
1: thank you so much for talking to us tonight. A mother in regional Victoria says a mosquito bite left her four-month-old baby in intensive care, suffering several seizures a day. Little Sam Gilliland is one of several Victorians suspected to have been infected with Japanese encephalitis. He was bitten during an Australia Day getaway near Wodonga. Symptoms became clear two weeks later.
2: To witness that, it breaks my heart. I honestly thought we weren't going to make it to the hospital.
1: His mum set up a GoFundMe page to help cover ongoing medical costs. And for those who've survived encephalitis, there can be lifelong complications. Joining me in the studio is Jeff Martin, who was diagnosed with the illness in 2018. Jeff, thanks for coming in. Pleasure Give us your first hand experience. What did, how did you get struck down?
3: Oh, first it was just like a viral flu. And I was in bed for a week, and my son said, Dad, you've never been sick for five days. And then it just disappeared, and I felt ready to go to work, and then the migraine from hell just came in. And I don't know if you've ever had a really bad hangover, but it was like that for the next 15 days, non-stop, Um, really painful.
1: So you go to the doctor, what do they say?
3: Well, the doctor said, I think you should go get it checked out at the hospital. Uh, My GP of 20 years knew me well never saw me complain, and I was really complaining. And um, and they tested me, gave me some fluid, and sent me home. I'd, you know, take a Bex and lie down mm. kind of response.
1: So how long to actually diagnose it then?
3: Oh, uh, it was on my third uh, entry into the hospital. I was um, sent home a second time. And they are about to send me home a third time when they'd actually taken a spinal tap of the fluid in my spine, which then when they were about to send me home a third time they finally found the herpes simplex one virus, which is the virus that I had in my brain that was causing the inflammation.
1: So is it because it's that rare, it's not diagnosed quickly or are the symptoms tricky? Do they cross over with other Look,
3: things? sometimes um, you present well. The second time I presented to a hospital I was really sick and I felt a little bit better, but the first and the third time I was really sick. Mm and um, yeah, it's a bit of a luck of the draw, but also there needs to be greater awareness. If you've got a long-going headache in your head, treat it seriously and advocate for yourself. And my doctor, my GP advocated for me.
1: Yeah. What have been the, the implications or the, or the longer-term complications for you?
3: Well, it's effectively a brain injury. My brain expanded, it burst, I had a major hemorrhage, like you have in the stroke. I missed a coma and I was able to walk and talk. So I was very lucky, actually. I'm, I'm quite a lucky survivor. And then I had an acquired brain injury and I was off work for four months. Then I went back to work on a graduated return to work. Over another six months, I was exhausted and fatigued, had to sleep, a lot of things I couldn't do. And then 14 months later, I had the onset of um, seizures from the scarring in my brain. So I'm now epileptic as a result. And that continues? That continues, but since my second one, I've been on medication after number two, and it's been touch wood. two two years and three months uh, on the medication and I've had no repeats.
1: I'm glad you can explain it because obviously Mm. with with the advent now of this Japanese encephalitis Mm. which has got the government and the health authorities extremely worried at the moment, Mm. we don't hear a lot about um, encephalitis at all, so it's important mm. to to get the message out of what it yeah. actually is and then you, you've lived with the complications of mm. it and how severe it was. How long were you in hospital originally?
3: Uh, 22 days, which was the time it took them to administer the antivirals which in my case could be treated to reduce the herpes um, infestation of my brain.
1: Now JEV, that's mm. what we're going to hear a lot about, mm. the Japanese version um, is going, it is rare, there's no doubt about that, but, but what's your warning to people in those risk areas Um, with all this weather it shifted Mm. something that exists in our north but now it's not we have south Mm. australia victoria as well what's your warning to people and what to look out for
3: look i think it's a fairly new thing so awareness i'm still learning and it's all about wearing clothes which are long maybe spraying yourself and staying away from stagnant water but the main thing is if you are feeling ill and you do have an ongoing headache and it's not normal, um, get it seen to and um, don't take no for an answer. Advocate for yourself.
1: We've got a lot of Australians in really adverse conditions Mm. right now, they're going to be around a lot of stagnant water. Yes. They're disconnected at the moment. They're not necessarily near Mm. their GP or hospitals. Um, That's a concern. you'd you'd feel for them and what you've been through.
3: Well, yes, and um, I heard about the sad news today, and my heart really goes out to not only obviously the victims, but really the families around them, because this is a disease of carers. Mm. It impacts the carers as much, if not more, than those who've suffered it, as it did my carers and my workmates, my boss, everyone. Well, you're a survivor of encephalitis, yeah. which is the most important thing. So. I'm here to tell the tale. And, you know, life doesn't end with an illness. You learn to live with it and you learn to make the most of every day and reduce your risk and manage your health.
1: And look out for the warnings at this stage. Mm. Hey, Jeff Martin, good to have you in the studio. Thank you very much, Thank mate. you.
3: Cheers. Hold
0: up.
1: Well, let's bring in Dr Ava Easton, a global expert in this field and chief executive of the Encephalitis Society. Dr Easton, thanks for joining me tonight.
4: It's my pleasure. Now, the
1: virus is usually found in in Asia and I think Western Pacific regions. We've previously had it in our far north, as we've just been talking about tonight. Uh, Are you surprised at the spread of cases in Australia in the past week?
4: Yes, I think I am. Um, I think we've all learnt lessons from COVID that viruses are, um, tend to surprise us when we least expect it. But as you say, we've already seen these cases of Japanese encephalitis. Um, you know, the first for for many in several years. Um, and of course, you know, many of the viruses that are responsible for encephalitis and the hosts responsible for transmitting them, in this case, mosquitoes, um, are going to be proliferating during these floods.
1: Now, the chance of JEV becoming severe it is low. We should be clear about that. But if someone develops encephalitis in the brain, what are the chances of survival?
4: Yeah, uh, as you say, you know, we don't want to be alarmist. Some people who contract the virus will only have mild symptoms but it is a very serious illness. And with nearly a third of those who contract an encephalitis from this virus, unfortunately, will die. Um, and a further third to 50% can often be left with life changing um, disabilities.
1: Some of the cases here, the the two confirmed deaths that we've had so far in recent times have taken some time to be confirmed. In fact, one of them today announced after it came out of a a, a post-mortem examination. Is it a difficult thing to diagnose up front? We heard from our previous guest who it took him a couple of goes in hospital before and a spinal tap before he was actually diagnosed with it. Is it a tricky one or is it just because it's rare it's not picked up quickly?
4: Oh, That's a great question. Um, Encephalitis generally can be difficult to diagnose and to treat. Um, I think that's why raising awareness on programs like yours is so important. We know that this is happening in Australia right now. And I think if people are admitted to hospital with behavioural change, with fever, with severe head pain, then I think we we need to be thinking neurology and, and testing for Japanese encephalitis in these patients as quickly as possible. Yeah.
1: And we, look, the explanations, we heard our agriculture minister, just before talk to us about we've got these extraordinary conditions in australia right now that's pushed the virus south in areas where it hasn't been and that's come from migratory birds as well and then mosquitoes coming into contact with them experts pointing to climate change have you witnessed similar patterns similar outbreaks in other countries where the virus hasn't been before
4: Well, um, not specifically with Japanese encephalitis that I can recall, but I think, you know, we have with other viruses, uh, Zika is a a virus appointing question um, and an example that comes to mind. As mosquitoes that transmitted that virus moved into new communities where uh, these communities didn't have an innate autoimmunity, they didn't—they hadn't built up any defences towards the virus. It had profound and life-changing consequences for the new communities where the mosquitoes had moved to and began to inhabit. So, I think we have seen it um, with other viruses.
1: And is it likely to then disappear from those communities, or once it's in a new area, it learns how to survive quite well?
4: Yeah, I think I think um, it, it might be here to stay. I think it's early days. I don't think we know, but I think what we do need to remember is that we live in what we call a one health world. So where our interactions with the climate um, and the animals that we coexist with are going to impact on our human health. Mm.
1: I'd I'd ask you with all of your expertise uh, is there advice for people to avoid catching uh, the virus but it sounds very difficult Uh, is there is there clear advice or is it more about diagnosing it fast
4: I think diagnosing it is is really important, but there's lots that people can do to prevent themselves from catching it. Um, There is no cure, there is no treatment for this disease, but people can take precautions such as wearing mosquito repellent, wearing long sleeves and trousers to avoid being bitten by mosquitoes and ensuring that their homes, their communities, their neighbourhoods, their backyards are free from stagnant water because this is where mosquitoes gather and where they want to lay their eggs. Stop. <laughs> Um, And we've also got to remember that there are safe and effective vaccines um, for Japanese encephalitis. So those who might be at increased risk in Australia should be seeking advice as to whether they should um, uh, go for the vaccination.
1: I don't know whether you heard the Agriculture Minister speak to me at the beginning of our show, but he said this was interesting. It's actually been taken to our National Cabinet uh, this week, which is the highest level of authority in Australia. And that's where urgent decisions are made. So it's certainly been pushed right up the chain as as a problem in this country. Do you think that's a good move?
4: i think it's really important um you know ence- uh, world encephalitis day was just a few days before this outbreak took place and actually we found it really hard to push this up the agenda of policymakers and health professionals mm-hmm. um and so it's so important that we raise awareness about encephalitis generally but certainly right now in australia with this outbreak
1: All right. It's been very interesting to get your insight. You're an expert in it. So you've given us some good advice. Dr Ava Easton joining us from the UK tonight. Thanks for your time.
4: You're welcome. Thank you.
1: Well, there you go. That's our special on encephalitis uh, with some new details in there and hopefully some good advice. Thanks for your company. I'm Michael Usher. Good night.